Hello, everyone. Welcome to Industry Focus, the podcast that dives into a different sector of the stock market every day. You're listening to the Financials Edition, taped today on Monday, June 26, 2017. My name is Gabby LaPera, and joining me on Skype is Jordan Wathen, the Motley Fool's financial expert. Hey, Jordan, how's it going? It's going well. How are you, Gabby? Pretty good. I had a nice long weekend. I went to a wedding. Um, I got bit by a spider. <laughs> it's, been, it's been a doozy of a weekend, so I'm definitely excited to be in work. How about you? Oh, well, I just got a fidget spinner in the mail today, so I'm feeling really good. Oh, yeah. <laughs> That's what all the kids have, right? Something like that, I guess. I, I don't know. I saw, I saw one on Amazon for $3, so I guess I had to try it out. Okay, well, I would love to know how it goes for you. Um, I have some friends who are teachers, and they all hate them because they say the kids are constantly messing with them in class, and like fights break out, and it's like prison fights in the school because of the fidget spinners. It's it's really bad for people of another generation. I think that would be Pokemon cards, and for the generation before that, that might be marbles. Uh, the Tamagotchi, I think. Yeah. <laughs> um, anyway, so talking about fights. I don't know. That was a pretty bad segue. It's okay. Talking about other stuff today on the show, this thing that we're actually here to talk about is uh, credit credit ratings agencies, which we might be referring to as CRAs throughout the show. So don't be surprised if an acronym just pops up. We've already defined it right here at the beginning. Anyway, today we're going to be talking about what credit agencies are, what they do, why we should care about them. You know, kind of think of this as an intro to credit rating agencies 101. Um, The thing about credit rating agencies is they're really important to understand and not just as, you know, like a potential investor in Moody's or S&P, but also because of the effect that they can have on a company that's not them or on the market and we'll get into that later. But let's start with what ratings agencies are and what they do. So, yeah, let's just start there. Um Basically, what credit rating, let's just go with CRAs. What CRAs do <laughs> is they give letter grades to bonds just as a kindergarten teacher would give letter grades to kindergartners. And the whole goal of a credit rating agency is to sum up the risk that a company can't pay on its bonds or its loans in a single letter or multiple letters, basically, to show how risky that borrower is. So. The U.S. government, for instance, is a very good credit. It's very unlikely that it will uh, have difficulty paying you back. So it's rated AAA or AA, which are either the best or the second best ratings you can possibly get. Yeah, and just some background for super new listeners. Um, Bonds are one of the ways that companies raise money to do things. They're like they're basically loans and you can buy the bond from the company and the the company pays you an interest rate back and generally the returns on bonds aren't as high as they are on stocks because bonds are considered a much safer investment than stocks but you're going to have a higher interest rate paid to you than you would say on your savings account because a bond is riskier than just putting your money in a bank right so a long time ago actually the, the whole idea that individuals actually own common stocks or just stocks is something that's really new um, 100 years ago, it would be unlikely for your average American to own stocks. If anything, they would own bonds because stocks actually at the time, you know, in the early 1900s, they were seen as something that was very risky. So most likely you were investing in something like a railroad bond or a loan to a railroad. But the problem with bonds is that one company could issue 10 or even 20 of them. So understanding the differences between them is difficult. So this guy by the name of John Moody, basically, he, he pioneered the industry. So in 1909, he decided that he was going to make these letter grades for bonds and make it easier for investors to understand the risks and the rewards with each one that came out. 
And so he created these manuals and these letter grades. And eventually, actually almost overnight, investors said, this is a better mousetrap. Like, this is a great thing. And I need to, to subscribe to Moody's service so that I can understand how risky or um, how rewarding a potential bond could be based on the single letter grade that John Moody has decided for the bond. Yeah, and Moody's isn't the only the only player in the space. There's also Standard & Poor's, which is uh, pretty frequently referred to just as S&P and uh, Fitch, um, which is kind of like the the redheaded stepchild. I don't know. I just feel like I never talk about Fitch Fitch's ratings. I don't know why, but it's always Moody's and S&P for me. Right, Moody's and S&P are the two big ones. And as a percentage of revenue, I think they have something like 85% of 80% of revenue roughly, and then if you add in Fitch to you get close to 95% of the industry. So virtually, it's basically three companies own this whole industry. Yeah, um, and just to give listeners an idea of how effective these ratings generally are, um, I have this chart in front of me. If you would like me to send it to you, I'm super happy to do that. But it basically has all the grades, um, A, AAA through uh, CA-C, which is not good. Um, and if you're AAA, like you're, you have a 0.2% chance of defaulting on your bond over the course of 10 years. Versus if you are a CA-C, you have an 85% chance of defaulting on your bond over the course of 10 years. Um, that's a pretty big difference, but like they have, the, and obviously we have like a hundred years worth of data, so we can actually see whether or not Moody's and S and P are doing a good job doing these ratings, and generally they are. Right. That, that's the big thing is a lot of people left with a lot of people read about the crisis of two thousand eight, and they leave with the opinion that the ratings agencies and their ratings are virtually worthless. But in reality, the truth is is that if you go down the list of the grades by quality, you will find that defaults actually do increase as the quality of the rating goes down. So a lower rated bond is more likely to default than a higher rated bond, which is exactly what these credit rating agencies want to happen. They want to see that their ratings are accurate, and over history, we've seen that they are accurate. Yeah, and it kind of works the same as like the the rating scale kind of works the same as the that kindergarten teacher's grades that you're referring to earlier so like triple a is the best then there's double a then there's a and then there's b a a then there's b a b c a a c a dash c for moody's but like they vary from like s and p just does a's and b's and i don't know but you, the more letters something has the better it is and the higher it is in the alphabet the better it is so, kind of like use that to to create your matrix, <laughs> I suppose. Or I'll send you this this chart if that was a super confusing verbal explanation of it. Um, so, we know that people or companies really need these these ratings in order to to sell their bonds. But how do Moody's and S and P make their money? Like that that's part of it, right? Right. So initially, so if we go back 100 years ago. The whole bond rating system was based on the idea that the company, let's say Moody's or S&P, which both published manuals, uh, investors would pay for those manuals. Uh, over time, though, that business has changed. And what happens today is that investors still pay to a small degree for these ratings. But by and large part, what happens now is that a company, when it wants to issue a bond, it goes to Moody's or S&P and it pays a fee based on the issuance, the size of the bond they issue. And it's, it's basically a percentage. And it's maybe 10 basis points at the most or 0.1% of the amount they wish to borrow but on a you know on a 10 billion dollar bond that becomes a rather significant amount right yeah and then there's also um, they also charge 
for initial credit assessment fees and annual surveillance fees, right? So that they can maintain the rating? Right, exactly. So initially they'll pay a small fee, maybe 50000 or $100,000 to basically fly people out there to take a look at the books and start to understand the business. Um, then they pay the issuance fee, which is by far the biggest driver of revenue for Moody's, S&P, or Fitch. And then they also pay that ongoing surveillance fee, basically, to keep looking at the bond or the company each year and basically say, what, what they'll do is they'll say, if the rating doesn't change, they'll say, we, we reaffirm, basically, our, rating, our initial rating on that bond. Yeah. Which is, I think, part of the reason that people can't shake this idea that Moody's and S&P and CRAs in general are kind of like vulture because they basically thrive with governments issuing, or not governments, well, government too, but government and companies issuing debt. So, it's kind of like they're profiting off this company having to issue debt. Of course, issuing debt isn't necessarily a bad thing, right? Like, they could be issuing debt for something positive, like a merger and acquisition that'll grow their business 100%. But... I don't know. There's always that that feeling when you're dealing with debt. Same thing with banks. Like when you're dealing with debt, I think people are always a little bit more hesitant to invest. Right. So I think that's one of the things is that one of the things that makes credit rating agencies so important is that they're so intertwined into the financial system that basic that basically their approval or disapproval of a particular company can really be market moving. So going back as far as 1934, basically. There was a law that was passed that said that banks can only own securities that are invested investment grade rated. So basically, if Moody's, S&P, or Fitch at that time did not give you the rubber stamp that says you are investment grade, then a bank couldn't own your bonds. And then in, by the 1970s, basically everyone is using these credit ratings to decide whether or not a bond is worthwhile, own, worth owning, or even looking into. So. And actually, I found a quote, and I really love it. And it was written in 1996, but I think it still applies today. And someone wrote, there are two superpowers in the world today. There's the United States, and there's Moody's Bond Rating Service. The United States can destroy you by dropping bombs, and Moody's can destroy you by downgrading your bonds. And believe me, it's not clear sometimes who's more powerful. So <laughs> I think that really encapsulates just how important the ratings agencies are to companies that need a rating to issue debt. Yeah, definitely. It's it's a really interesting thing, and this is what I was referring to earlier at the beginning of the show when I was talking about how these CRAs can really affect the future of a company. Because you're right, if Moody's is like your bonds are junk, which is a term, junk bonds that I'm sure most listeners have heard, um, that means that the bonds are super risky, and you have to pay a much higher interest rate on those bonds if you're the company trying to issue issue them, and people are a lot less likely to buy them because. They, right. they don't know that they're going to get paid. Right. This is especially this has become even more institutionalized. I think today with the rise of funds and uh, index funds generally, uh, if you read any ETF, any bond ETF prospectus, it'll refer to the bond index they use, and the bond index will basically say, "We will only buy investment grade rated bonds that have the rating from Moody's, S and P, or Fitch. Nobody else." Even though there's you know more than ten credit rating agencies, basically. These are the only three that matter. Yeah, um, it's and the other thing to think about with these uh, credit rating agencies is that they have access to all of the information. Like they have to, so that they can make these decisions. Um, so that actually translates into some of their side businesses, right? Like um, Moody's Analytics or S and P Market and Commodities Intelligence, um, which are subscription services which are sold to banks, insurance companies, um, the Motley Fool sometimes. <laughs> 
Um, no, right. So, yeah. so basically, once you've collected all this information, as S&P, Moody's, and Fitch have done, they have all this information, and another way to monetize it is to repackage it. Um, S&P, actually, this is a good one for a banking show. Uh, S&P recently bought out SNL Financial, which is basically the go-to bank information service provider. If you want to know what, say, Wells Fargo's non-performing loans looked like in 1982 and how that compared to other banks in the neighborhood, you know, in California neighborhoods, they have that information. And so basically these side businesses that they have, which aren't as important, um, for S&P it's roughly half their income. For Moody's it's about only about 15% of their operating income. But these side businesses allow them to basically reuse the information that they've collected and resell it in different ways. Which is so smart. Um, I have a coworker whose son is raising goats <laughs> for a um, for a, a ritual that happens in in Islam once a year, um, and he's going to sell these goats to the to the local mosque. Um, but in the meantime, he's also hiring the goats out as lawnmowers. Um, which is kind of the equivalent of of the S of S&P and Moody's doing this with their with all the information that they've collected. Um, and congratulations to you, you're a very enterprising young man. Um, the other thing that uh, that S and P does that I don't think Moody's does not do um, is the index funds. Right. So S and P, obviously, everyone knows the name. Even if you don't know who Standard and Poor's is, you know S and P, and you probably just know it from the S and P 500, which is you know their premier stock index. And because this has such a reputation and such a name as the large cap index, I mean, really, there isn't a peer for it. And because there's so much you know money willing to invest in the S and P 500 index. They've found it possible to license the S&P 500 name out to fund managers and charge a fee. It's usually 0.03% of assets under management just to use the name and to use the index and the ETF name. So every dollar or every, let's put it this way, every $100 that goes into an S&P 500 index fund, uh, Standard & Poor's is collecting three cents on that just for the right to use its name. It's an it's a amazing business. I would love to just own that by itself because it's just truly incredible that they can collect basically a royalty on index fund assets. Yeah, no, it's it's just super cool to see all the ways that these companies are are putting stuff together. Um and, and that's one of the reasons that credit raging credit blah, sorry. CRAs, we're gonna go with CRAs too, um, is that one of the reasons that they're so interesting is that they are kind of using every part of the cow um, in order to, to make money, um, which is just a very impressive business model. No, yep. You're right, because at one point, actually, this is I wrote an article on this recently. I found this really interesting. Uh, S&P really didn't realize for a long time just how valuable that brand is that it has, the S&P 500 brand. And at one point, they actually gave Vanguard the license to use the S&P 500 name in one of its biggest funds for as little as $50,000 a year. And it later turned out that they woefully underpriced that contract. And I think they've reworked it since. But you know, this business of theirs is collecting over $100 million a quarter in pure operating income just by skimming off the top of all these funds that are out there. It's, it's truly incredible. I mean, if there's one business that I wish I could just own outright, it would be that. And I would just sit sit at home and I would just check the mailbox every month for my next check. But it, it's just an <laughs> amazing business. So we've talked a lot about why these businesses are awesome, how they're really interesting, how they make their money. Um, what are some potential risks to investing in a company like a CRA? Right. So when we think about the CRA businesses, 
two are only pu- only two are publicly traded, at least two close to pure plays. So Moody's generates about 85% of its income, operating income from ratings. S&P gener- generates just over half from ratings. Uh, then there's the smaller players, right? So there's Morningstar, but Morningstar, you know, their ratings business is basically immaterial. It, it's a rounding error. Um, and when we think about the money that these businesses make, though, it primarily comes from the issuance fees. So when you buy a credit rating agency or you decide to invest in one, the single most important thing that drives revenue and drives profitability is how much debt companies are issuing. So one of the biggest possible you know, risks that you could face is that debt issuance simply goes down because one of the biggest drivers would be that rates go up. That's something that people are really worried about is that as interest rates go up, you know, the, the attractiveness of issuing debt won't be as big as it is today. Yeah, um, and that's that's certainly a valid concern. But I would urge those people to look at um, historical historic precedent. People still asked for debt issuance even when interest rates are high. You know, like that's that seems to me to be kind of a it shouldn't be a huge well, factor in your in your in your concern about whether to buy this com- these companies long term. Right over the long term, no, but shorter term it is because one of the things because these are based on issuance fees. One of that's the primary driver, because it's based on issuance fees over the past, you know, five to ten years as rates have come down, these companies have basically earned more than maybe they would in a steady state environment because they're picking up those fees on every refinance, right? So if a company issues a bond and rates go down two years from now, they'll refinance it and pay another issuance fee. But if rates are going up, they won't have that refinance activity built in. Mm-hmm. So that's kind of the give and take there. Yeah, fair enough. But like I said, if you're thinking long term probably not a huge deal for you. And you know us at The Motley Fool, we're all about that long-term investing. Um, right. uh, another thing to think about is government tax policy, right? Yeah, so there's been some talk in DC about eliminating the ability of companies to deduct interest as an as a expense on their taxes. And I don't know if this will happen. You know, Supposedly, the GOP is going to come up with a proposal by September. They've talked about it, but Companies last year, the Wall Street Journal said they they quoted, I think it was $1.3 trillion in interest expense last year. Um, if for some reason suddenly interest is no longer a tax deductible expense, obviously that makes issuing debt much less attractive too. So that may be a long term hurdle if it happens. I, you know, I, I yeah. don't want to get into trying to predict what happens in DC, but it's obviously a factor. Yeah, it's a, it's a bad business trying to predict what's going to happen here. <sighs> <laughs> um, yeah, sorry that that long suffering chuckle is the, the sound of someone who's lived in this area for twenty eight years. Um, so another another potential threat, as is a threat in any industry, is that new there are, there's the potential for new entrants to enter the field. Um, I don't think this one is a particularly big deal either because. Um, if you think about how brand recognition plays such a huge role in soda, imagine how much brand recognition is is important um, when you think about people who are in charge of saying this company is credit worthy or not. Right, and that's that's a that's a really good point because imagine you have to look at it through the lens of someone who's using their ratings to make a decision. If you're an investment analyst, for example, and you work at a bond fund. And you say we should buy this bond because Joe Schmo's credit rating agency rates at AAA, 
you know, there's some there's some job risk there. If you come to it and you say, well, Moody's didn't see it and Fitch didn't see it and S&P didn't see it. And so, of course, you know, they rated it AAA and I still bought it. Well, you, you might actually keep your job. So I think the brand value is important. But to the extent that, you know, maybe some smaller agencies pick off some of the more valuable business, it might happen, but it hasn't happened. And so I always like to ask the question, if it hasn't happened yet, will it happen? I You know, I don't know. I think to some extent, the rise of index funds have made it a lot harder for the smaller shops to gain traction. Yeah, and I think that the smaller the smaller CRAs kind of had their opportunity um, post financial crisis when people were really questioning, especially Moody's, uh, because they had they played a role in rating some of these um, securities and bonds that that companies had been selling with the housing bundles in them um, as better than they actually were. And they ended up paying both S and P and Moody's ended up paying huge fines. If I recall, Moody's was around like eight hundred and fifty million, and I think S and P paid like one and a half billion. I want to say. Yeah, it was a lot of money, and it's still coming through today. Uh, I think they finally, just finally, in twenty seventeen, put a lot of put most of this behind them. But you know, we'll see. And that's that's a risk too. That's worth mentioning is that if these you know companies miss the mark again. There's going to be fines, and you know it opens the field for competition if it, it's going to happen. If it's going to happen, which, like I said, the smaller rating agencies had kind of a chance earlier um, in 2008, but they didn't really take off. So, like, who knows if it would really make a difference in the future? But it, then it would be a second strike. So who knows? It's that's one of those things with investing. It's looking into your crystal ball, and there's just clouds. <laughs> We're just not very good clairvoyants here. <laughs> Right. Well, I mean, it's hard to say because when you invest in a credit rating agency today, if you look at the multiples they're trading for, it's you know 25 or more times earnings. So your return is not going to come from the current environment. It has to come from the basically assumption that they're going to do more business in the future. Right. Your return is going to come primarily from growth. And so the question is, does that come through pricing? Does it come through volume of debt issued? You know, where does it come from? Yeah, uh, and you, you basically priced in no downside. You know, you haven't priced in many risks to the downside. So, you know, you need these things to work out really well. Yeah, and I think that's that's something that you hit on too. Is like, have we hit peak debt issuance? Because if so, like, long term, eh, you know, like, well, I I don't think that we've hit peak debt issuance because I think the economy is going to continue to grow. Like, generally, that's just a belief that I have. But I also don't think that it's sustainable as in the short term like it has been the last few years which is what we were getting at with the first risk that we talked about right I mean that's the thing right so if you bought these CRAs in 2007 and you held them you would have done fine but God you would have waited a really long time to see that outcome you know yeah uh, and that goes for any financial if you buy a peak if you buy a financial company at a peak multiple of earnings at a peak you know volume of business you're not going to do very well when the you know the cycle hits a trough and now you have a low multiple on a low level of earnings, you know, that doesn't work out well. But over time, obviously, I think if nothing changes, if nothing changes to the credit rating agencies, then this has to be probably one of the best businesses on earth, if nothing changes, which, you know, it's <laughs> the, the huge factor. Um, you know, like everyone's looking at them, right? You know, there's those conflicts of interest. The people who are issuing debt are basically paying the credit rating agencies, and a lot of people don't like that. Certainly, a lot of regulators don't. So if that changes too, that's a change in the revenue model, which again is very difficult to predict. So I was going to ask you what your final thoughts on CRAs were, but you just said it was one of the best businesses on earth. So I think that pretty much accurately sums it up. 
Yeah, I mean, it's, I feel that way a lot about a lot of these, you know, these service-oriented um, financial businesses like Visa and MasterCard and, you know, the credit rating agencies. They're just terrific businesses, but, you know, you're always paying a peak multiple on them, and it's one of those things where if anything changes, you know, the thesis falls apart. But I really, you know, as it stands today, if, you know, if the trends continue, I mean, I think they're one of the greatest businesses on earth. It's just whether or not you pay the right price for them. All right. Well, fair enough. Um, I hope that answers your question, listener, who emailed this to me many, many moons ago. Um, I'm saying that because I want everyone who's listening to know that we do, in fact, answer listener questions on the show pretty regularly. So, if you want us to cover a particular topic, go ahead and shoot us an email at industryfocusatfool.com. As usual, people on the program may have interest in the stocks they talk about, and The Motley Fool may have recommendations for or against. So, don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear. Uh, thanks so much for joining us, Jordan. Thank you, Austin, our magnificent producer who has had very little sleep because of the puppy. I posted a picture of the puppy on our Twitter. You guys should totally go check it out. Um, And everyone, thanks for listening and have a great, great week.